You're listening to the Birth Matters Podcast, episode 46. The very first class, I think you asked something like, what would you like to get out of this or something? And I said that day, I need to figure out a way to get my anxiety in check. And I think just learning about the entire birth process, really knowing what to expect, just really, really helped with that. There's something to be said for understanding what your body is doing, understanding every aspect of this crazy thing. One of our activities that day was writing down words that we associated with labor. And one of my words was like frightening. And I think toward the end, it was less frightening. And I think you said something like, look at it as an adventure instead of something that's scary or like something that's positive. And like, that's what you have to do, you know, take the negative and turn it into something positive. Like, yes, you can view it as the scariest thing in the entire world, or you can view it as the coolest, most amazing thing in the entire world. So that definitely helped. Hey there, and welcome to the Birth Matters Show. I'm your host, Lisa Graves-Taylor, founder of Birth Matters NYC Childbirth Education and Labor Support. This show is here to lessen your overwhelm on the journey into parenthood by equipping and encouraging you with current best evidence info and soulful interviews with parents and birth pros. Please keep in mind the information on this show is not intended as medical advice or to diagnose or treat any medical conditions. Have you subscribed to the show yet? Please be sure to do that wherever you're listening to this or over at birthmattersshow.com so you don't miss out on anything. Hello, everyone. Can you believe it's Thanksgiving week already? 2020 feels like it both has lasted five years, but then also like I can't believe it's already holiday time. I want to take a moment just to say how grateful I am for the opportunity to connect with you. I'm grateful for all the expectant and new parents who've shared their stories in past and for future episodes. I'm grateful that I'm still able to teach classes, even if it has to be virtual for now. And I am so grateful that you're listening to this passion project that is my podcast. Today, Mila and Sean share their baby's pre-pandemic premature birth story. In the weeks leading up to Mila's labor, the couple had been chosen to be on the TV show House Hunters. However, Mila's water breaks at 36 weeks before they even finish shooting the episode. While Mila, who had done a lot of work to reduce her anxiety and build trust in the birth process, had hoped for an unmedicated labor, the way things play out, induction and then pain medications ended up being needed. They share how Mila pushed for three hours, and just as things were headed for a C-section, Sean asked if the vacuum was an option because Mila really wanted to avoid a surgical birth. So, a vacuum was used to assist with the delivery. Then they explain how baby went to the NICU for six days due to some breathing issues and needing phototherapy for jaundice. Mila discusses the helpful early breastfeeding support she received in the hospital and also shares already preferring to have an out-of-hospital birth attended by a midwife and a doula for the next time around. Before we jump into the story, I wanted to remind you that you can be entered to win a $50 gift card to help with your holiday shopping in two simple steps. Step one, leave a review of this podcast wherever you listen. Step two, post a screenshot of the review and podcast logo to Instagram, tagging us at Birth Matters NYC. Previously, I mentioned it would be an Amazon gift card, but with the importance of shopping local and supporting small businesses, especially in these times, I've decided the winner gets to choose the merchant. We'll announce the winner on December 15th over on Instagram. 
You'll not only have a chance to win, but you'll also be helping other expectant parents find the podcast. So many thanks and good luck. Okay, let's jump into today's story. Welcome to the Birth Matters Podcast. Today I have Mila and Sean. Welcome, you guys. Hi, thank you so much for having us. We're doing this interview about two weeks into the stay-at-home orders with COVID-19, so I'm not sure when this will air, but we'll see if you're listening when you're still home or not. How are you guys doing today? Hanging in there, trying to work remotely and balance having a three-and-a-half-month-old, but so far, so good. Yeah, hanging in there is an appropriate uh, phrase. (laughs) Day by day, hour by hour. And do you want to share maybe where you live and what you do for a living? Uh, so we live in Long Beach. We are freshly Long Islanders, um, originally from Queens, from Astoria, Queens, and now we're just trying to get used to living in the suburbs, and we are both attorneys, and we do work in Manhattan. Uh, I work for the city of New York, and he works for the state. He's an assistant attorney general. Yes, I'm not the attorney general. <laughs> um, yeah, and we, we actually just uh, moved to Long Beach. We'll get into it shortly before our little guy was born. Three days before. Oh my goodness. I cannot imagine. (laughs) Wow. That's a lot. (laughs) Well, yeah, right. Right. (laughs) And do you feel like now, now that it's three and a half months, do you feel like you're kind of coming into a new phase at all? Do you feel like a lot of people at like around three months on the other side of that fourth trimester, so to speak, feel like, okay, now we feel a little more human and <laughs> less like all the time overnight and all that. How's it feeling for you now? Yeah, I'm used to having him in my life now. <laughs> so I've accepted recently that he's here to stay. He's not just like a house guest. <laughs> he's <laughs> he's a permanent addition to the family. And yeah, it's just, it's kind of like, you know, we've established a routine, I think now. So now that we're out of the fourth trimester, I'm kind of like, a little more easygoing with things and a little more just it's become more of a routine, which is good. I think the move actually helped in that regard because it was two big changes at once with the baby and, you know, moving. And we've sort of now settled into that a couple of months in. Uh, it's we're now in our routine. We're in our new place with our addition to our life. And I think we're a little settled in now. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I can't imagine that you were even unpacked when you went into labor, right? No way. Three days? I mean, I thought I'd have another two weeks or at least another two weeks at a bare minimum. And I was just like, you know what? I'll take my time unpacking. I was heavily pregnant. I was waddling around. And I'm like, you know what? Time is not of the essence here. Like, let me wait until the weekend at the very least. The weekend rolls around. Boom. My water breaks. The following week, the baby's home, and yeah, it's just, you know, recovering from birth while unpacking, while taking care of an infant, and it was a little intense those first few yeah. weeks. The goal was to have his room set up. Oh, yeah, we didn't even was, have his yeah, nursery. Before he was born, and obviously that wasn't the case, because he surprised us, came a little early, so his room was just boxes when we ran off to the hospital, so... That was fun. All I had was the bedside bassinet. And I was like, you know what? As long as our bed is set up and as long as the bedside bassinet is set up, we'll figure everything else out. Absolutely. Pretty much we just started from there and built off of that. Wow. Well, backing up a little bit, do you want to share how your pregnancy went and any different ways that you prepared for this journey into parenthood? Yeah. So I have always struggled with anxiety. I had a diagnosis of uh, generalized anxiety and panic disorder a couple of years back 
when I struggled with uh, panic attacks over the years. So once I got pregnant, I was like, all right, this is not going to fly. Like, I'm not going to be pregnant whilst having this, this situation, this condition. And, you know, anxiety never goes away, but you can work on it. So I have been working on it. And I think throughout my pregnancy, I kind of just learned that I decide my mindset, right? Like my mindset is like, it's up to me. I wake up every morning and I can choose to feel positive feelings. I can choose to feel joy. I can choose to look at the bright side of things, basically. So that I probably pretty much just, you know, probably started (laughs) when I got pregnant that I was practicing a lot of mindfulness and I was practicing a lot of just like, you're in control. You dictate the terms of your brain waves or whatever. And yeah, I just, throughout the pregnancy, I really just focused on maintaining good vibes, positive attitude. And thank God I had no like episodes throughout the pregnancy. And, you know, knock on wood, I'm feeling pretty much the same today. Like it's been all really positive. Whatever momentum I started during the pregnancy has pretty much kept up and I couldn't ask for anything more. And I think that was just such a huge struggle throughout my life. And now it's, I don't want to say it's under control because, you know, it can rear its ugly head at any point in time. But I think I've kind of learned to live with it. I've kind of learned to manage it. And you have no time to like stress and have anxiety <laughs> when you're dealing with a baby anyway. So, so yeah, I think it's pretty much more or less controlled at the moment. Do you mind my asking, were you seeing a therapist during your pregnancy? I was, yeah. I was seeing mm-hmm. a therapist and at a certain point I stopped because I was just like, this isn't really doing it for me anymore. I might start back up again, but I think, you know, when I realized that I sort of had like my emotions under control, mm-hmm. decided that I could put a pause on it. Sure. Yeah. It sounds like you had gained some really helpful tools that were helping you manage it. For sure. Great. Good to yeah. know. Other things about pregnancy? Yeah. I mean, I know he he's always like a control freak and tries to maintain control over everything. And I think he kind of like was able to go with the flow a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, I think you've kind of got a, that's one thing you have to understand that you can't control everything. You know, you have to kind of sort of make peace with that and live with that. And I think my mindset during the pregnancy was sort of to get out of the way and make her as comfortable as possible and reduce her stress as much as I could and be helpful, not be a burden, uh, you know, in any way. And I'd like to think I succeeded in some way. And, you know, obviously going to your class was very helpful for the both of us. Definitely for, for me personally, it was a lot that you touched on that sure. I had never heard before. I had no idea. I was going into this completely blind. So that, that was a big help. I remember the very first class, I think you asked something like, you know, what would you like to get out of this or something? And I said on that day, I was like, I need to figure out a way to get my anxiety in check. And I think just like learning about the entire birth process, really knowing what to expect, just really, really helped with that. And there's something to be said for just understanding what your body is doing, understanding every aspect of this crazy thing. And I know one of our activities that day was writing down um, words that we associated with labor. And one of my words was like frightening or something. And like, 
I think toward the end, it was a little less frightening and more, I think you said something like, look at it as an adventure instead of something that's scary or like something that's positive. And like, that's what you have to do, you know, take the negative and turn it into something positive. Like, yes, you can view it as the scariest thing in the entire world, or you can view it as like the coolest, most amazing thing in the entire world. And, you know, yeah, it hurts, but it's also an, an experience. I think you just have to view it in, in that light. So that definitely helped. Great. Anything else about the pregnancy or do you want to jump into your birth story? What else about the pregnancy? Well, <laughs> Wait, all the chocolate wafers that you ate, uh, <laughs> that was part of it. Yeah, uh, yeah. I just, it was so humbling to like lose control <laughs> of my body in a sense. Like not, you know, lose control, but like I was always used to just like, you know, walking everywhere and walk all day long, go to yoga go to the gym, like be as active as, you know, any New Yorker, like working in Manhattan and living in Queens. It was just humbling when I couldn't even walk like a couple of blocks toward the end of the pregnancy. Like I would like literally get out of breath walking up a flight of stairs to my subway. I think that's like a really big part of it. It's humbling, but you accept it and you work through it and you don't push yourself most importantly. And I think I just really had to learn like, this is my new normal. This is my current reality. I couldn't jog. Like I, I used to jog, you know, a couple of times a week. I absolutely could not do that. I think I just had to accept these are my current limitations. This is what I am able and not able to do at the moment. You know, couldn't do any yoga, like very basic stretching I could do, but could not do like a full yoga class by any means. And I know a lot of people can. So it's also really humbling to understand that like, Susan or whoever. Susan. Susan. <laughs> I don't know. Just like, you know, your friends who are like, yeah, you know, I did power yoga until the day mm-hmm. I gave birth. I was not able to do that. I wish I could have, but I couldn't have. And like, you just kind of accept your limitations. I did what I could. I walked up until the day that I gave birth, maybe like a half a mile a day, <laughs> as opposed to like a couple of miles that I was used to, but you do what you can. So like, I think it's just a really big part of it is acceptance and positivity and you just kind of go with the flow and hope and pray that w- one day you do get back to the normal state of things. you will yeah everyone yeah you will i what do you mean i think i did okay yeah i'm back to yeah. Yeah. being able to do the physical activity that i, I was limited in doing for a long time you don't think so 110 percent it needs to be gentle. Yeah, you, yeah. I love that there's so much wisdom in that to really be gentle with yourself in this time of life. And after birth too, we historically have just seen too many celebrities like looking svelte right after birth. Yes. And it gives us these unrealistic expectations. And to ease after you've given birth, we need to continue to be gentle with ourselves because healing you know, while we at the six week appointment usually are told, yeah, you're all healed. That's actually Mm -hmm. not really true. Yeah. The visible healing has mostly taken place for most people around six weeks, but you're still in many ways healing for like that first year. So to ease back into the physical activity and all of that is a wise thing. Yeah. Not to rush it. Just don't rush it Mm -hmm. because that's how injuries happen. You know, you can't be injured while you're caring for a teeny tiny human. Great. Well, you're going to give a little background about the days or weeks and the move leading up to going into labor? So we actually, aside from moving, we were selected or, or we were filming House Hunters, the reality show. And Mila watches all that stuff and she was very excited about doing I was so excited. House Hunters and I reluctantly agreed 
to have the application submitted. And uh, then we were actually selected. And yeah, yeah. And she told them, you know, hey, by the way, I'm like, whatever it was at that point, seven, eight months pregnant. Well, they pushed it. The problem was that they pushed filming like by four weeks. Right, right. So it was supposed to be done in October. Then it was supposed to be done in November. And then finally, I think our first day of filming was December 6th of 2019. And they do it like it's staggered over four or five days and you go to different houses and condos and what have you. So our first day was December 6th and we were supposed to, I think, what what was it? He was born on December 8th. That was supposed to be- We had a house tour that day. Or yeah, he was born on December (laughs) 8th and December 7th, which was a Saturday, we were supposed to film again and Mila's water broke that morning. And she called or texted or emailed the producer and said, you know, hey, so my water broke. <laughs> We're not going to show uh, up today. <laughs> and no, I, I think you just said my water broke. And the producer responds by like, well, we're here at yeah. the house. <laughs> She's like, well, we're here. So are yeah. you coming or what? And, and, you know, it was sort of like, a, I don't know if you really understand what I'm saying. You know, we're not we're not going to make it. Uh, we're going into to labor. So it was filming trying to film a reality show while she was eight months pregnant. Um, you know what they're happening. you know yeah. what they're thinking they're thinking oh good drama yay oh, yeah, show absolutely. up come exactly. be on camera while you're in labor exactly <laughs> the, the the one day we did that was like sort of the focus that was the main thing they're like are you feeling like you're gonna give birth today and i was like no i'm fine why yeah, yeah. and now i realized like they really wanted like my water to break like yeah. while they were filming and it was also a lot of like they were talking about they wanted us to talk about uh, having the new baby, being pregnant. Well, what, what's it like being pregnant and looking for the new houses? What's it going to be like yeah. when you move in with the new baby? What are your plans for the baby room? So that was like the hook, I guess, for the episode. So we're doing that and then we're, we're actually moving. And then of course the baby came a little early. Um, Wait, so you were moving into a rental? While you were house hunting? Oh, oh, so we should probably explain how house hunting works. So this is how the sausage is made, apparently. I didn't know this. Those those shows... Uh Uh-oh, industry secrets. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I don't think I signed a non-disclosure. No, you didn't. Oh, you probably did. Uh, It's okay. Maybe you can't go into that. Yeah. (laughs) I mean... Okay. I think you can give the general idea that you have to have your condos or house already purchased prior to filming. Because, like... Why would you film anything if you don't know whether you're going to close on a unit? So we had purchased the condo already and then we started filming and they were like, oh, you know, when we film it, the a condo has to be empty, obviously, because it looks like we haven't moved in yet. So we had all of our boxes in the condo. Like we had, we hadn't unpacked it, but we had moved everything in and we literally moved all of our boxes outside just to like a storage area in the building to film the episode. Then we moved all the boxes back in after we filmed. So no wonder your water broke. (laughs) Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. And of course, of course, I just had her do all the heavy lifting. Uh, (laughs) I just sat there and, you know, drank a coffee while she did it. No, but so we did that. We were doing the house hunters thing. And then we actually moved, I think it was December 1st. December 3rd, we moved. December 3rd, we actually did the move. The 4th we filmed. Something like that. But in any event, we had just moved in and then her water breaks on the 6th, like three days, you know, into uh, living in a new place. And so it all happened very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. The baby was not a fan of my plans. Yes. Yeah. 
He did not respect. He did not respect our timeline. He, he does not like timelines. He was. We thought this would be fine because he was supposed to be born around Christmas, and he decided that he was not going to adhere to that, and he came early. So, and I was really careful. I just want to note that I was very careful throughout the move. Like I wasn't lifting stuff or anything like that. But I think the stress of the move itself, plus like, you know, when you spend eight hours a day just folding clothes and putting it in boxes, that also kind of takes a toll on you um, emotionally. So I don't want to say that like the stress caused my premature labor, but, you know, I can't rule that out necessarily. So yeah, I don't want to like put the blame on myself or anything like that. But I mean, I don't know. I don't know if, if it would have gone down that way had I not moved right before so i guess we'll never know though you know it is what it is he's here that's all that matters he's healthy yeah he's here and he's healthy he's the light of our life so yeah so do you want to back up to the Mm -hmm. thing and what happens next yes so (laughs) so i got home from work on a friday It was my first day commuting from Long Island to Manhattan. And I was like, this commute sucks. I feel like crap. Like, I do not feel well. I got home at like 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock that night. I went to sleep super early, like 7 p.m. And then I wake up 12 hours later, and I am soaking wet. And I 6 a.m.? Yeah, it's like 5, 6 a.m. I wake up. The bed was soaked. And I was like... This is totally not my water breaking. Impossible, right? So I get up, I take a shower, I start cleaning up, trying to unpack a couple of things, and I keep leaking. So I'm leaking, leaking, leaking (laughs) over like the next like two hours or whatever. And I'm like, you know what? I don't think I'm peeing myself. I think this might be my water. So I wake him up. I'm like, listen, I don't want to freak you out, but I think my water broke. And he's like, no, it's not possible. It's so early because I was exactly 36 weeks on that Saturday. Well, I don't think I said it's not possible. I think I said something silly. Like, like no! no, I said, I said <laughs> are you sure? And she said, well, you know, you can look at the evidence right here. And I said, okay, fine. I believe you. Myself. I thought I was just yeah. like incontinent now. And I think, <laughs> well, this know, is my reality now. I just pee myself. That's very I common. Think, yeah. That yeah. confusion of like, which is it? <laughs> Yeah. And I think my my main thing was like, why did you wait two hours to wake me up? Thank you for thinking of my sleep, but it's okay. It's kind of a, you know, big, big deal. And I think what, then you, you called the doctor at at eight o'clock ish. Yeah. I called the doctor at eight got his answering service. I was like, all right, well, you know, I feel fine. I'm not in pain. So let me try to clean up a few things, do some laundry. Um, Then another few hours pass and I'm still leaking fluid. Not a lot of fluid, but like steadily leaking. And then finally I get a call back and my doctor's like, yeah, you should go to the hospital. I'm like, are you sure? He's like, yeah, yeah, you should try to get to the hospital. I was like, well, I have some time though, right? Is it like time is of the essence kind of thing? And he's like, no, no, you should probably probably make your way over there. I was like, well, can I like finish the load of laundry that I'm doing? And he's like, okay, yeah, finish your load of laundry, but like, Try to make it to the hospital like soon. So and at that point, you part know. of that part of that recommendation is probably because you were thirty six weeks. Mm, because yeah. if you were a little later, there wouldn't be as much of an indication to come sooner. But mm. I just wanted to point that out for the listeners. 
Yeah. And then, so we got there, what, early afternoon? Yeah. Yeah. So we drove from Long Island to Mount Sinai, which. Mount Sinai West. Mount Sinai West, which took a really long time. To your point, Lisa, there there was a question of whether they were going to put her in a bed right away. But similar to what you just said, because she was about 36 weeks, they said, you know what? Yeah, we're going to put you in a bed. They didn't put us in the labor unit right away. They put us in, what's the initial bed that you get? Triage. Yes, triage. Mm -hmm. So we were in triage for hours and hours. And like they kept coming in, going out. They're like, well, we don't really know if you're going into labor or what. And they were like checking and all these things. And I was like, I feel fine. So like for the longest time I had in my head that I'm totally not going into labor. I'm totally going to be discharged and I'm definitely going to get to go home today. And like, thank God I packed a just in case bag that morning. Cause like after four or five hours in there, they're like, yeah, we're admitting you. This is happening. And I was like, how could this possibly be happening? I'm not feeling anything at all. Like I felt fine. And they explained that like basically the risk of infection was going to go up if I didn't start active labor and I was like, all right, you know what to do, but I really don't want to do labor induction. You know, I want this to come as naturally as possible. And they were like, well, we can wait a few hours for your contractions to start, but we have to tell you that once we reach a certain point, we will have to look at induction. What did they give you? I think it was around midnight. Yeah. So I want to say around midnight. So probably like 15 16 hours after my water broke, something like that, they gave me a lozenge. Do you remember what it was called? No idea. Lo- they put a lozenge in my cheek and they were like, well, this probably should- um, Cytotec, probably. Cytotec, yes, mm-hmm. Cytotec. And they're like, this will <laughs> soften your cervix or something like that. And I was like, are you sure I have to do this? I still really want it to come naturally. And they're like, yeah, you have to do it. So the Cytotec didn't do anything at all like nothing. I still didn't feel contractions at all. Like we were like laying there joking around, watching TV, whatever. And then finally they're like, all right, we got to put you on a Pitocin drip. And I was like, no, like that's the one thing I didn't want. I, you know, read all this horrible stuff about Pitocin and like, you know, just labor induction in general. And they're like, oh, highly recommended that you go to Pitocin drip now. And I was like, well, start me off the lowest dosage possible. And they're like, okay, yeah, definitely. But we're doing it. And Cytotec usually won't produce effective labor contractions. So mm-hmm. if you're not having contractions, usually they do need to move in an mm-hmm. induction, you know, mm-hmm. on to Pitocin. Mm-hmm. I wonder why they even started the Cytotec if it wasn't going to do anything. Well, it's ripening your cervix. So if your cervix oh. needed some help with the ripening, that's oh, why they would start okay. with Cytotec or Cervidil. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it wasn't necessarily for the contractions to start, just for right. the cervix. So that worked. What time was that the- worked? It was almost immediately after yeah. that I started having contractions and I wanted to go natural. Um, and we had talked about that throughout the entire pregnancy. And I had told them, you know, my birth plan is to do nitrous if I feel like I need it. And like literally two hours after they gave me the Pitocin, I was like, I need some nitrous. Like right now it was getting really bad. And then I started the nitrous and it was going okay. And I was like, you know, doing my breathing techniques and he was giving me my massage and I was breathing in the nitrous, which did absolutely nothing at all. Oh no, absolutely sorry. Nothing. Sorry. It didn't help. Yeah. yeah it was different for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. That's what they were saying though. Like, yeah, you know, some people like, you know, calms them down or whatever. Some people doesn't do anything for us. So it didn't do anything for me. 
then I was breathing through it. I, I think I was a trooper for a while. You were. You and were. then come like <laughs> 4 a.m., I was just like, I can't do it. I think I, it was, give me the epidural. <laughs> no, I did not do that. I was just like, maybe we can talk about my options for do you want the epidural or and i'm like yeah no i want it (laughs) and that helped though right yeah so immediately after and that but you know it was just like it was such like a feeling of defeat though like when the anesthesiologist came into the room i was in between contractions and at that moment i was like you know what let's tell her to leave like i changed my mind let's not do it and then we're like kind of going back and forth they're like you gotta tell us like are we doing this or not and then, like, you know, when you're in between contractions, you're like, this isn't that bad. But then once the contraction starts, you're like, wait a minute. No, I was wrong. This is that bad. <laughs> so the contraction started back up. So that was four o'clock. And then he's, yeah. he's born at. Well, uh, we're not. I know what I'm saying in terms of the time frame. Oh, after the contraction started, he was born eight hours later. No, not eight yeah. hours. He was born almost. It was 147 he's, he's born at 147 p.m. Yeah. So the contraction started. But they gave Pitocin at, like, middle of the night. Epidural at, like, 4 a.m., I finally was able to get some sleep after the epidural. The epidural felt horrible. I think it's because like also mentally, like I didn't want it there, but it was also just like a weird feeling to not have any feeling in your legs. So So, it numbed your legs fully? Yeah, it numbed me completely. Mm. And they told me to top it off. Like if I wanted to top it off, I refused to top it off. Like once it was in there, I was just like, I don't want to say I regretted it, but like the entire time I kind of felt like... You know, I gave in. What time were you fully dilated? So I, after I woke up from my nap, they checked me and they were like, oh, you're fully dilated. And I was like, oh, okay. Like nine o'clock? Yeah. It was like yeah. 8 a.m. I was fully dilated. And they're like, well, you're going to start pushing soon. And I was like, what? I thought I had more time. But no, they had me start pushing maybe at like 10 a.m. or something. Yeah. And nothing was happening at all. Like, no luck whatsoever. Yeah. I kept pushing and pushing and pushing hours. Three hours later, I was like, what's going on? They're like, well, his head is at an angle. I was like, well, what does that mean? And they were like, well, it, you know, you could keep trying. Or we could do... Actually, he brought it up because of your class. Back. They were going back and forth on you know, the difficulties they were having. And it was taking longer than uh, anticipated. I, I was well, done. Like, I was yeah. so and done. I, I, I was yeah. spent after three hours. I could see she was just physically and mentally exhausted and drained. And I grabbed, the, I don't know if it was, the, I think it was the nurse, not the doctor. And I said to the nurse, would the VAC be an option at this point? What do you think? Mm-hmm. And she was like, well, yeah, we could do that. And then at first, Mila... I don't think you were on board at first. No, I, I just, all that was going through my mind was I can't go into surgery. I do not want a C-section. My entire birth plan had fallen apart. You know, like I didn't want to do labor induction. I did labor induction. I didn't want to get an epidural. I got an epidural. I didn't want to do a VAC and I definitely didn't want to do a C-section, but I would have gone for the VAC, obviously, rather than going to surgery. So finally I was like, if you think it's A, it's safe to do the VAC right now. And B, if you think that he'll come out with the VAC, Let's do the VAC. The, do- the doctor seemed excited to do it because not, no, he was excited in the sense no, that- No, it was weird, wasn't it? No, they were having difficulty doing it. And, you know, he was like, oh yeah, if you guys are open to do the VAC, let's do the VAC. Like, let's speed this thing up. Uh, and I don't he- think he was excited to get the labor <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it was, he wanted to move it along. 
but then they did the vac. I think they had a resident. Oh my God. So once we told them we wanted the vac, like 16 people came into the room. Yeah. And I was just like, what is like, why is there a party in my room right now? But it's weird. Yeah, yeah. It feels like a bigger production than it should. Seems yeah. like it would feel like. like. What did I just agree to? It was like a, a small army or like yeah. a, a clown car showed up, uh, but they weren't clowns. They were very experienced. I think they were mostly staff. residents. Yeah. But they, they knew what they were doing. And then the, the, the doctor that was overseeing it, Dr. Lee, right. Mm-hmm. He had, they had a resident actually do the back with him standing right there. Yeah. If I remember correctly, Lisa, I think you had said there's like a three pull limit or something. A three pop off. Yeah. The yeah, section yeah. cup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it, I think it popped off the first time, but I, they got it on the second, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah. It was yeah. awful. And then they called pediatrics in and I was just like, why are you calling pediatrics in? And they were like, well, it's because you're 36 weeks, you know, we need, you know, we need someone here to assess him. The entire time I was just like, I am going to lose it right now. And I yeah. just kept breathing. And the whole good. time I, I was just you like, just, keep breathing and, you know, take it one minute at a time and try to get through it. And like, don't focus on how awful this is and just, you know, focus on the fact that your baby's about to Mm -hmm. to meet your baby. But I think you were, what was active labor? Two hours? Well, contraction started right after the Pitocin. Yeah, but the, um, I mean, actual pushing. like Pushing was like three hours. hours. More. Yeah. But yeah, but then he was born and everything was, you know, everything well, was no, good. everything yeah. wasn't good because his yeah. head was like this freaking long. So one thing I didn't know that I, I got from your class and I would have lost my mind if you didn't tell me this when he I was standing right there when he came out. And of course, he was blue, gray color. His head was it looked like, you know, Dan Aykroyd from the Coneheads mm-hmm. uh, and he didn't look like he was breathing and my first thought was, oh my God, like, you know what, this is, this is terrible. But I remembered your, your class that this is The whole normal. time I was like, what does it look like? What does it look like? What's going on? Yeah. What's going on? He's like, oh. So I, I was, I saw him and I'm just, I looked at her and said, oh, you know, everything's fine. Everything's fine. Like I, you know, I knew that this was. No, but like your face got like very pale. I, I probably looked like a ghost for a second, but then I remember. You were trying to fake it. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, then I remembered Good. this was normal, but they had to take him away they brought him to the NICU, there was some breathing issues initially. And then once they had him in the NICU, there were a couple other issues that developed. So that was stressful to say the least. We're taking just a quick pause in this story for a brief word from our sponsor. If booking live group childbirth class just doesn't work for your busy schedule, or if you're suffering Zoom burnout, there's another great option for you. The Birth Matters Complete course is an online self-paced version of my live interactive full class curriculum. It covers not only prep for an amazing birth with self-advocacy tips, best current evidence, and tips for partners, but also holistic postpartum wellness, breastfeeding, and newborn care. And to top it off, you get lifetime access so that you can use it as a refresher later in this or future pregnancies. How great is that? To get the benefit of a more personalized experience, you also have an option to add to the course a 30-minute virtual coaching session. This has been a really popular option during the pandemic. We're continuing to offer a large limited time discount for podcast listeners, as well as anyone who might be struggling financially through these times. So grab the promo code and purchase over at birthmattersnyc.com. Oh, we forgot to mention your 
participation in the labor itself. Oh, yeah. So they didn't tell me that this would happen. But during the pushing, they had the nurse on one on the left leg and me on the right holding her up and helping with pushing. I had no idea. I knew it was a possibility from your class. No one had told me before the actual pushing started that, hey, you're going to play an active role with the nurse and the doctor. Which Um, was so cool. They they just, they came in like, okay, grab a leg. All right. And that was it. And uh, I was like, are you sure he's qualified to do this? They're like, he's okay. He's just going to hold on to your leg. I think it was funny at one point between pushes before they were really getting close in time, there was still like a decent amount of time between them. And the doctor and I started talking. I think we we were actually talking about, uh, the UFC or something like that. Like while they're both mixed martial yeah, arts fans, while, just my luck. While she's pushing, and the doctor and I are like, "Yeah, do you remember Voice Gracie from 1993?" And she's like, "Both of you!" <laughs> I, I did not yell at you. She's like, "I'm in the middle of labor." We're like, "Oh, okay, yeah, sure." I did not um, yell. I was very polite, but I was like. Is this conversation necessary yeah, right yeah. now? We were, I think I'm about to push him. We were, we were getting a sidetrack, but, but he was very good. He was very good. Yeah, he um, was amazing. Yeah, was and then amazing. finally, Ether was born about 147 and then yeah, taken to the to the NICU. Yeah, taken right to NICU. Couldn't hold him. Couldn't do delayed cord clamping, which I was really excited about. And they were basically like he needs to be assessed right now. We are not going to delay cord clamping. Like we need to take him away. And I was just like, so I can't hold him right now. They're like, no, we're taking him away. So uh, yeah, the initial issue was a a breathing issue. I think that he didn't start breathing until maybe like 15 or 20 seconds after they wanted, they would expect it. Something like that It was slightly delayed, not not significant, Uh, but that was the reason they took him to the NICU. And then once he got there, they had him on a, I think a CPAP for the first day and he was able to get off the CPAP after a day. So it was just the pressure one after the CPAP. Yeah. So they were saying like he was breathing fine, but they wanted to just put yeah. a little, um, like a pressure thing on his the nose. Breathing resolved, the breathing resolved relatively yeah, quickly. Yeah, within but, like a day. But then his, uh, his bilirubin levels were elevated. Uh, so that was their major concern. Uh, it was never elevated to the point where they were, very concerned, but it was slightly elevated to the point that they said between this and the fact that he was 36 weeks, he's got to stay here. And then they put him on phototherapy and he was there for, he was born on Sunday the 8th and he didn't come home until Saturday the 14th. So it was about six days in the NICU, something like that. And every day they were like, yeah, we think tomorrow might be the yeah. day. And then we'd get our hopes up. And then the next day they'd be like, oh, Billy Rubin's still high more phototherapy. So he was doing phototherapy for like probably four days or something, right? Yeah. And from our perspective, so he was born on Sunday, the 8th. And then, so Mila stayed in the hospital Sunday, the 8th, and then Monday, the 9th. And then they actually had a room in the NICU for parents. There's only one room. There's many babies in the NICU, but uh, there's one room for parents. And if it's available, they'll give it to you. But you can only stay in there for one night because obviously there's other parents who might want to use it. So we got to stay in the NICU room Tuesday the 10th. But then after that, we had to go home and he stayed in the NICU. It was about an hour drive, you know, between Long Beach to Mount Sinai West. Without traffic. So it took two hours every day to get there. So basically every day, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, uh, we were driving there in the morning, staying there all day, coming home at night. Obviously that was stressful. You know, we both wanted to take our baby home, but you know, we couldn't. The saving grace was that 
there was no significant concerns by the doctor. You know, every day it was just sort of the L- Billy Rubin slightly elevated. Once it gets down, we'll let him go home. And of course, the both of us are furiously researching every piece of medical literature we can find on the internet to, you know, corroborate what the doctors are telling us to what we're reading. And, you know, it, it matched up. They were experts. They knew what they were doing. And he was fine. And he ultimately came home on Saturday, the uh, 14th. Yeah. Wow. And just for listeners, the elevated bilirubin and the phototherapy is for jaundice, for those who aren't aware of what that is. Yeah. And he never had any significant jaundice. It was very, very slight here and there. But the, the concern is that if it's too elevated, there can be neurological issues and other you know permanent damage. And so that was you know something that was in the back of our minds. Uh, but the doctors reassured us that that was really not a risk for him because his levels weren't elevated that high. But you know, it's still stressful going there every day. You want to take him home. You're hoping today is going to be the day and it's not the day and it's tomorrow. And, you know, but, you know, we, we got to sit next to him every day and, and yeah. the nurses were really good. Um, it's funny because he was bigger than all the NICU babies. So that all the nurses were saying how big he was. He was six pounds, seven ounces. So he, I don't think he was necessarily a big baby, but I guess like to the NICU nurses, he was really big. And they kept saying like, what a big boy. He's such a big boy. And so that was interesting. And then we saw, all, you know, we met a couple of the other people that were in NICU and saw a couple of those babies. What they're able to do for these babies is tremendous. Like it is amazing. Modern science is just incredible. It really is. There was a baby there that was born like 24 weeks or something. The amount of care that the nurses put in and just like everything that they're able to do. It's tremendous. It really is amazing. I had like full confidence in, in the pediatricians there the entire time. I knew that like he was getting the best care possible. And we knew like from the get-go, because this was an IVF pregnancy. So we knew from the get-go, we researched everything from the very beginning. So we knew that Mount Sinai had a really good NICU unit. And of course we weren't anticipating going into NICU, but one of the reasons that we did choose Mount Sinai was because of the availability of the NICU. Yeah. Um, so that, you know, ended up working out well. And I guess for people that don't know, the NICU, the, uh, it was great, actually. There was two shifts and they did rounds twice a day, right? Mm-hmm. Once in the morning, once at night when the, the change of shift with the new doctor. And you could actually time it to be there when they did the rounds. So you got to speak to a pediatrician right. as, and, mo- as often as oh, when they were there. They answered, they would, you know, give us their sort of summary overview of his condition, where he was at, what the testing showed, all of that. We were able to, you know, ask uh, every question that we had. They were you know, very, very helpful. The nurses were, I mean, the nurses were even showing us how to change him, like, yeah. you know, in his, what do you call the... Yeah, they were having mm-hmm. us change him and feed him, and it was cool because we got, like, a little, like, supplemental baby caring yeah, 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 yeah. Um, for the four days or five days that we were going in there. So. Uh, something like that, but yeah, they, they showed us feeding, changing him, all that. Yeah. Um, we got to, you know, we snuck into the little food pantry in the labor unit. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, um, they gave us the code. They we gave us the code. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, a really good thing about Mount Sinai West for anyone that's delivering there. They have a food pantry. And <laughs> so if you... <laughs> Insider it, tip. Insider, <laughs> insider tip. tip. I just said the so, food was amazing. The food was so yeah, good. The yeah. food was so good. So yeah, if you're pumping in the middle of the night or you're breastfeeding in the middle of the night and you want a snack, you can have Hub's 
go over your birthing partner, <laughs> go over to the food pantry and they give you a code. It's not like yeah, <laughs> a forbidden place. Yeah. And there's like apple juice and grape juice <laughs> and that stuff that, you know, you probably shouldn't yeah. eat, but they do have like granola bars and stuff like that too. And like sandwiches. So that was a bonus. We, that, we had a lot of apple juice and grape juice, yeah. which brought me back to elementary school. But it was so amazing. he finally came home on the 14th and everything was good. He was healthy. And yeah, and finally, he finally. Had, they, he had his first pediatrician were, visit, what, a week later? Well, no, like you went two, the, days the, the two days later and then the follow-up was a week later. So the, yeah, so they had to check yeah. his Billy Rubin once again at his first pediatrician visit and thank God everything was fine. And he's just been, you know, doubling yeah. in weight. No, he's more than doubled in weight. He's 17 pounds now, the, so yeah. he tripled he, in weight. He went from, like, <laughs> 20th percentile in weight when he first came home to, like, 85th percentile. <laughs> he's in the 82nd like, percentile like just, right now. Like, maybe, right. you know, yeah. go to the gym, okay? You know, he watch your so eating. He's so chubby. Yeah, he's really, Well-nourished. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. But, yeah. you know, so everything turned out okay. They were testing the Billy Room at the pediatrician's office when he got back. I think they did it twice. Yeah. And there was a risk that if it went back up, he might have to go back to the hospital. So that was a concern. I think there was also a possibility that we could do phototherapy at home if it was necessary. Like they'd have to, we have to get the equipment, obviously. Um, but that wound up not happening. So it seemed okay. like we had to do a lot of phototherapy, though. Like a lot. Yeah. He, well, when he was in the NICU, he did a lot of phototherapy. But, you know, they explained it. The, it seemed like uh, it was an overabundance of well, kind of thing. It was, but I'm all for it. You know, yeah, I mean, it's it. fine. Yeah, but, yeah, like, with know, a preemie, they're going to be a lot more cautious. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. but it all worked out. So no complaints. Everyone treated us really well. Well, speaking of the well-nourished baby, do you want to share a little bit about your breastfeeding experience, maybe backing up to the NICU and all that? Yeah, so Mount Sinai has incredible, incredible lactation consultants. Literally two hours after I, I gave birth, there was a knock on the door and a lactation consultant came in. And she was like, are you breastfeeding? And I was like, I would like to, yes, but you know, I, I don't know where to start. So they showed us how to do a manual expression. In every room they had pumps and they showed you how to pump and they were always available. So the first time that I met with a lactation consultant, we did manual expression. So I manually expressed colostrum, which I think was so beneficial to him in the NICU, being able to have that. And then I pumped every three hours and I was able to eventually build up my supply. So toward the end of his NICU stay, he was having mostly breast milk, which is very important. And then I just kept pumping when I got home and also breastfeeding as well. And I would not have been able to do it without those lactation consultants. Like they were incredible. So the first time was the day that I gave birth. And the second time was three days after I gave birth and we went over latching. And even though he was teeny tiny, you know, six pounds, seven ounces, he was still able to latch. And yeah, we've been going strong since almost four months old and he's still comforted by it and it's great. And I hope to continue doing it for as long as possible, but I just think it's so important to educate yourself on it and get help doing it because it's hard. It's really hard. Everybody says like, it's the hardest thing. And the first few weeks is so difficult and blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah, you know, it's true. It is. It's really difficult. But after those few weeks, it's second nature and it's just so important, you know, I just think like, how do you withhold that from your baby? Like if you're able to do it, like just do it, just get past any difficulty, any initial difficulty, any initial hurdles, you just get over it. And like, you know, I know La Leche League, they're tremendous for women that have difficulty and there's so many resources out there. I thought it was really important to be able to breastfeed him and yeah, it's going well so far. 
Yeah. And it sounds like you really had the support you needed to be able to feel like, okay, we're figuring this out along with that support. When your baby was on the CPAP, how did that work? Were you only able to feed expressed milk during that time? Yes. So during that time, I was able to hand express colostrum and they had like a little syringe that they would just put that in his mouth. Oh, and good. Then, I'm glad they were using a syringe and not mm-hmm. a bottle. That's, that's oh, important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Yeah. The entire time, more or less, they used a syringe until he was off. But I think he was off like within a day off the CPAP and then off the other. I don't know if the other thing was necessarily a breathing machine and the one that that put pressure on. I don't know exactly what that did. But for whatever reason, he still used a syringe for that also. But then as soon as he was able to do a bottle, I think on day three, um, and then he was able to take a bottle. So I would pump and put it in a bottle. And at first it was like the teeniest, tiny amount, tiniest amount. And I was just like, I'm never going to have an adequate milk supply. I'm not making any milk. And I was like so discouraged. But yeah, you know, day five, day six, it came in and been going strong since. Knock on wood, hopefully it continues for at least another couple of months. Yeah. Hopefully until he's a year old, but you know, we'll see what happens. Life gets in the way. I know that much, but I'm going to try. What happened with house hunters? Did that just go out the window when she walked broke? <laughs> yeah. So originally they had said, okay, let's maybe see if we can like reschedule. Once you guys are settled in, we can, you know, film the remaining days. And I had said, without really getting approval from my better half here, I had said like, oh yeah, sure, I'm sure we could do that. And uh, then once we sat down and figured things out, it was sort of like impossible. Like, like, because we can't have the baby while we're shooting, she can't be carrying around with him. You know, he's brand new, he's a newborn, he's crying all the time. Yeah. You know, um, you got a whole crew there on a, you know, certain set yeah. work, work they schedule. Have strangers in the home, um, all that. So there was, we can't film with him. And then the all, other alternative would be taking this newborn and giving him to grandma for, you know, eight hours, 10 hours at a time. Which would be fine if I wasn't breastfeeding. But. Yeah. So it was right. like, we finally said, sorry, guys, we don't think this is going to be doable. And uh, so that, that was unfortunate. But, you know, so yeah, some, I was really yeah, looking forward to it. Somewhere there's a real or a, you know, a digital video file somewhere of me waddling yeah. eight and a half months yeah. pregnant being like oh, this is that the last apartment that will, that will never air we'll never see the light of thank day. god oh, thank so. god <laughs> i was just frighteningly massive i don't want anyone to ever see me look like that yeah uh, <laughs> so embarrassing <laughs> Well, Mila, not that you need it necessarily, but I had myself muted when you were talking about feeling really disappointed in getting the epidural. And I just want to mention that, you know, an induction is a harder way to go for most people. And so I think you did what you needed to do and to just be gentle with yourself in that way too, that, yeah. you know, it was necessary. And because you certainly didn't want it to become traumatic or more challenging than it needed to be. And For so sure. I think you made a smart choice when you were doing the best with the circumstances that you were given. Yeah. yeah. I mean, in a perfect world, you know, it would have gone differently, but whoever adheres to their birth plan, like, I don't know anybody who has, and I definitely have not a hundred percent. At least yeah. not a hundred percent. The next time I definitely want to try to go natural the next around and I, I am looking into just having a doula and a midwife the next time around. I don't think 
you know, the whole sterilized like hospital environment is really necessary, or at least for me, I don't think it's necessary now in like the state of mind that I currently have with respect to birth and the whole process. So I'm definitely looking into that for the next one. And yes, I already am planning for an extra one, even though he's <laughs> four months old, like I'm already like, I want more. Like it's the best thing in the world. Like what's better than having a baby? <laughs> oh, I love hearing that. That's great. And yeah, I mean, and right now there's a lot more people becoming a lot more aware that, you know, hospitals are for sick people. And exactly. if you are low risk, if you've had a fairly uncomplicated pregnancy, midwives are such a great option. And to know that if you're not comfortable giving birth outside of the hospital, that some midwives do work in hospitals mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely looking into that. I'm excited for that. I'm excited to just like not have that pressure on myself also, because I feel like in a hospital, it's a little bit more rushed um, and it's a little bit more like, well, we're, we got to get you in this room. Then we got to get you in that room because we got to open this room up for the next person. And it's like, you know, if you're in the comfort of your own home or you're in the comfort of a birthing center with midwives, I think the vibe will be a little bit more different also. So I'm kind of mm -hmm. looking forward. Mm, nice. Yeah. Well, are there any things that you haven't gotten to share yet that you'd like to share? That's one thing. And then the other thing is if you've already shared everything you wanted to share, are there any tips or insights or reflections that might be beneficial to parents who are expecting a baby or new parents in those first three months of life? I think we've gone through the whole timeline. Is that yeah, right? I think yeah. we got there. Everything we wanted to get there. Just like, just breathe, you know, just breathe. That's all you can really do, you know look at the positive, stop dwelling on the negative. And like, I had to keep telling, like my mantra the entire time was I choose joy. Like, that's what I've been doing. Like I'm choosing to feel joy. I'm choosing to feel positive emotions and I'm going to acknowledge the negativity that is in my life or that I think about or bad thoughts like I'm not good enough and like this isn't going well. Like you acknowledge those thoughts, of course, but like you could also just let them go. Because like what point, there's no point in worrying and there's no point in stressing and there's no point in having anxiety because it's not going to change your outcome. And it's going to make things more difficult for you and your partner and everybody else that you come into contact with. So you can just like choose to feel positive emotions. You can choose to exude positivity. You can choose to surround yourself with like good vibes and yeah, like look at it as a positive experience and like, don't look at it as something that's negative. Cause like, it's natural. It's like, it's a beautiful thing. And you just like need to look at it as that. If I were to hear myself saying this, like last year, I'd be like, what a granola, <laughs> granola lady, like crunchy, you know, whatever. But yeah, you know, if that's how I sound. That's how I sound. Like it is what it is. Like it's such a transformative thing. And you really just need to realize that like, you not only need to be better for yourself, you not only need to think better for yourself, but you need to be better and think better for your baby. They will pick up on any negativity that you're putting out there. So like, just don't do it. And I think the other thing from your perspective was sort of, you know, embrace the chaos, be aware that not everything is going to go to plan. And yeah. when that happens, you don't know what unexpected things are going to happen, but you, you can know that unexpected things will happen. So you can be a little more prepared for when that happens. For me, for fathers or for partners out there, the most important thing during both the, the pregnancy and the labor was to just be supportive, make her as comfortable as possible, you know, uh, in the hospital. And this is something that you talked about a lot, Lisa, was be her advocate, ask questions, you know, when she's in pain or 
taking a nap, whatever the case may be, make sure to get that information from the doctors and, and all that. Now, I know when she needs a break. She's breastfeeding a lot and, and she's with him a little more than I am because of that. But when I see her getting stressed or whatever the case may be, you know, that's when I know to step in there or give her that break. But I think overall, just, you know, enjoy it also. You know? Another important thing that you said, I think that I've really took to heart was like, ask for help. The burden is not entirely on you. Like if you have that support system, ask them for help. Like you don't have to do it on your own. I've learned to ask him for help when I need it. And I think that's important. And the baby just woke up. Perfect timing. Perfect timing. <laughs> I love it. Great. And I was about to ask Sean, what tips do you have? But I think you actually just answered it about what tips would you have for supporting a partner who does deal with anxiety. But all those things that you just said seem to really speak to that very much. So just being really supported, that alone reduces our anxiety. I try. Ooh, do I get to meet your baby? He just woke up. He might be a little crappy. Say hi Lisa. Oh, he's precious. He's perfect. <laughs> you would never know he was a preemie. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. He's such a chunky mm-hmm. little monkey. <laughs> well, thank you so much, you guys. This has been wonderful thank to you. reconnect and get to see your faces again, get to hear your voices yeah, like and to meet your baby virtually as we're yeah. all doing right now. <laughs> um, I hope to see you guys at some point, maybe at a reunion yeah. or something. So that would be fun. Yeah. Once we're no longer socially distancing. Right. Yes. <laughs> once it's safe to do so, of course. <laughs> All right. I hope you have a great day and thanks again. Thank, Thank you, Lisa. Bye. Nice talking to you. Bye. Bye. So that's today's great birth story. Before we wrap things up today, I wanted to touch on just a couple of topics, the asynclitic position of baby and the vacuum. Mila mentioned that her pushing stage was long, and they determined the baby was in asynclitic position. Anytime a baby is in a less than optimal position, it tends to lead to a harder, longer labor due to several different factors, such as the shape of the pelvis and the angle of the baby's head and how effectively it can help dilate or open the cervix. Asynclitic position means essentially that the baby's head is a little bit tilted toward one shoulder. More ideal is for the head to be in alignment with the backbone with the chin tucked. If you want to learn about optimal fetal positioning, visit spinningbabies.com, which I'll link to on this show's episode notes over at birthmattersshow.com. Given that issue with the baby's position, one way to expedite things as well as potentially avoid needing a cesarean surgery for the birth is to use the vacuum or forceps. If one of these tools is needed, you would want your care provider to use whichever tool they're trained to use. Here in New York City, it's more common for care providers to be trained to use the vacuum than the forceps. In 2014, the American Congress of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, which is the main ruling authority over the maternal health care system in the U.S., issued a major report with a number of recommendations to bring down the too high C-section rate. One of their recommendations was for obstetricians to use forceps or vacuum more frequently than they have been instead of moving so quickly to a cesarean. This is based in the knowledge that a vaginal birth in general tends to be safer and healthier for mom and baby. I loved that in Mila and Sean's story, Sean had listened carefully in class and knew to ask if this might be an option when they started talking about likely moving to a cesarean. 
If he hadn't known to ask, I suspect it's very likely that Mila's birth would have ended up being a surgical one instead of the vaginal one she had very much hoped for. As you heard in the story, expect a number of people to come in the room if vacuum or forceps are used, particularly if you're giving birth in a teaching hospital. Often the staff are suited up for the OR just in case the baby doesn't handle the assistance well, sometimes even with full headgear, and they roll in all kinds of tools on trays. It's a sometimes jarring energy and activity shift. The vacuum or forceps can be useful if someone has been pushing for a long time, is very tired, or if there's fairly severe and ongoing fetal distress on the heart monitor, meaning the heart rate is either too low or too high outside the normal range of 120 to 160 beats per minute. Two other things to note, one for the birthing person and one for baby. For the birthing parent, sometimes an episiotomy is needed along with the use of these tools. I provided some education about episiotomies earlier this season in episode 41. It's much more common to have more significant tearing and some pelvic floor health issues due to the additional pressure caused by pulling with the vacuum or forceps, and especially when there's been an episiotomy. If someone is having issues with incontinence, pain during sex, or other pelvic pain, especially beyond the first six weeks out from birth, please know there is help and it can get better by seeking out a physical therapist who specializes in pelvic floor health. If you need resources along these lines, visit my resources over at birthmattersnyc.com or you can send me an email for even more recommendations. Also, over on my Birth Matters NYC Instagram IGTV, I've done a couple of interviews with top pelvic floor specialists, one on the various reasons a birthing or postpartum parent might want to seek out this support. Then, a consideration for the baby. Over the years, safety protocols have been developed that have significantly reduced any lasting serious injuries to the baby with the use of the vacuum or forceps. However, even today, many babies would benefit in the weeks after birth from some adjustments done by a pediatric chiropractor, cranial sacral therapist, or osteopath. You would definitely want to seek out a practitioner who specializes in working with newborns, and any of these practitioners would use very gentle techniques. If the vacuum or forceps are used, peds, or pediatrics, would need to take the baby across the room immediately after the birth just to give them a quick once-over to be sure there's no lasting harm done. When a vacuum is used, it's normal for the baby to have a large red elevated spot from where the suction cup was pulling and to therefore look even more cone-headed than normal. We see a lot more use of the vacuum in New York City area hospitals than the forceps, but with the forceps, which look like large metal salad tongs, you might see some bruising on the jaw and sides of the head, as well as possibly a few scrapes. Also, please know that if either of these tools is used, the birthing person is still absolutely doing the vast majority of the work to give birth to their baby. The care provider is just adding a little bit of additional assistance to expedite baby's birth. One final, totally separate side note, I just wanted to make one clarification during these pandemic times. Hospital or birthing center pantry food is unfortunately not available in most hospitals as long as COVID-19 is an ongoing concern. So, sorry, you'll have to bring your own delicious snacks. Okay, here's a sneak peek of what's up next week. So my daughter was born during Hurricane Sandy. And so I remember the storm starting and thinking, oh my gosh, I cannot move. I can't do much because if I do anything, her due date was 
October 30th. She was actually born on her due date. And it was like, oh my gosh, if I try to like busy myself around the house and I'm going to go into labor because I'm standing up and I'm walking and I'm doing all these things that help labor go on. So I actually remember laying in bed for two days, nervous to move, just watching the weather, right? Because it was just like a storm outside and doing the minimal movement, right? Which ironically could have worked to make labor happen because I was just relaxed in bed, right? You know, I'm in bed, relaxed, totally comfortable, just thinking like, baby, just hold on tight a little bit longer. We can't go out there right now. This week, remember to, as Mila and Sean said, choose joy and embrace the chaos. Thanks so much for listening to the Birth Matters podcast. I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving, even if it looks kind of different than normal. And we'll see you next week.